let us pray. So, Father, we give you great thanks this day that Jesus Christ is King of kings and Lord of lords. Of all the earth, of your church, and each of us who know him as Lord and Savior. So now may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. We may be seated. Good morning, everyone. So good to see all of you here this morning. And thanks so much to um, Father Jed for pinch hitting last Sunday on really short notice. Those of you that were here know um, that I got sick and had to leave after first service. And that's about as short of notice of preaching as you could get. As we finished the recessional for first service, I said to him, I'm really sick. I've got to go. And, um, and he filled in, thank you so much. And he also um, covered a funeral I was scheduled to do on Monday as well. And thanks to um, the rest of the staff as well. Um, they all dove in this week while I was out and did so many things. So we have a wonderful staff. Can we just express appreciation to our whole staff? I would invite you to take your Bibles or devices with Scripture on them and turn to our Gospel reading from Matthew 25. Continue to look at Matthew 25, which we've looked at for the past three Sundays. Well, um, you did preach on Matthew 25 last Sunday, Father Jed. You did, yeah. So um, Today, as I've already mentioned, is Christ the King Sunday or the Feast of Christ the King. It is the last Sunday on the church calendar. Um, next Sunday, the first day of Advent, is in terms of the church calendar, New Year's Day. And so we start with a whole different cycle of lectionary readings and move forward through the next year. This year was year A, focusing on the Gospel of Matthew. Year B, the primary Gospel readings will be, for the most part, from the Gospel of Mark. This is a Sunday, though, also which points to the reality that Jesus is the eternal King of glory. Now, for some people, um, that is not a popular notion in the day and age in which we live with this overemphasis on personal autonomy because to say that Jesus is King, to say that Jesus is Lord, clearly implies that we owe fidelity to Him as that great one. And that's unselling for some people. But to know Christ as King and Lord in these temporally uncertain times is an incredible blessing because we know that he is the Lord of time and history and his will will indeed be done and we can find great peace under his headship. Each of our scripture readings today brings focus to some aspect of Christ's kingship and the ultimate consummation of his kingdom rule and authority for all time and eternity. In our Old Testament reading from the prophet Ezekiel, we read, As for you, my flock, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I judge between sheep and sheep, between rams and male goats. Is it not enough for you to feed on the good pasture, that you must tread down with your feet the rest of your pasture, and to drink of clear water, that you must muddy the rest of the water with your feet? And must my sheep eat what you have trodden with your feet, and drink what you have muddied with your feet? In 1 Corinthians 15, we read, Then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom of God the Father, when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. 
for God has put all things in subjection under his feet. Today's gospel reading continues with this same focus. Now, this gospel reading today from Matthew 25 is familiar to many of us, and it's one which I've preached on a number of times, including here in the past. Matthew 25, these verses we heard read today, bring to mind other parables in Matthew's gospel about separation from God and judgment, especially from Matthew chapter 13, where we find both the parable of the weeds and the parable of the nets. But these verses, as I've said, are also in continuity with our reading from Matthew 25 from the previous two Sundays. But the past two weeks, Matthew 25, have been parables. Last Sunday, the parable of the talents. But our reading today is not a parable. Rather, it's a word picture, a clear description of the last judgments. And the importance of Jesus' words here cannot be overemphasized. Their importance is highlighted by the fact that they are climatically placed in Matthew's gospel at the very end of Jesus' public ministry. If we look to the very next verse, Matthew 26, verse 1, we see Scripture moves to the plot to kill Jesus. I think that it is important to note that there are several schools of thought regarding how to interpret our gospel reading. And I want to briefly mention two this morning. First, there is a school of teaching that identifies the least of these from Matthew 45, specifically as followers of Jesus, disciples of Jesus, those who are poor and needy specifically because of their fidelity to him. There's a second school of interpretation which identifies the least of these as poor people and the needy in general. Now, this second interpretation is more widely held and is the more traditional interpretation, and it's the one I agree with most, but there is some merit in both of them. However, regardless of which interpretation we identify with, Jesus here has in mind people who are needy and vulnerable, those who are hungry and thirsty, the stranger and the alien, those who lack sufficient clothing, the sick, the prisoner. And the priority of God's people providing for those in need is not somehow new or unique just to the New Testament. This focus is something which God's faithful and obedient people do, and we see this focus throughout the Old Testament as well. In the books of the law and the Old Testament prophet, prophets, God's Old Testament people are commanded to take care for the needy, to clothe the naked, to extend care and hospitality to the stranger, the immigrant, the alien, and the sojourner in the land. And when they failed to do these things, they found themselves under God's judgment for their lack of obedience. Fact is, this all really comes down to the relationship between faith, true faith in God, and spiritual fruitfulness. Matthew 25 depicts two separate or twin conversations. First, the conversations between the Son of Man and those who are at his those who are at his right hand, the sheep. The second conversation with those is with those on the left, the goats. In the ancient Near East, this was a common thing for for sheep and goats to graze together in a mixed herd during the daytime. Sorry, we're having some this morning. But they would typically, the sheep and the goats would typically be separated at night in part because sheep could 
weather it out in the cold, goats had to be brought into shelter and be kept warm. They didn't have the same type of fur and wool as sheep do for insulation. But shepherds had no difficulty distinguishing the sheep from the goats. And the point here is this. The Son of Man and the great shepherd of the sheep, our Lord Jesus Christ, has no difficulty at all in distinguishing between those who are truly his from those who are not. And the conversation with each of these groups ends quite differently. In verse 34, we read, Then the king will say to those on his right, the sheep, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. But then in verse 41, speaking to the ghost, we read, Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. All of this really boils down to a living faith, a living faith in God through Jesus Christ, which is demonstrated by righteous, godly actions. And hear this. The fact is, brothers and sisters, to not do good, hear this, to not do good is to do evil. Did you hear that? To not do good is to do evil. There is no place for passivity. So often we have this unbalanced focus on not doing that which is, which is sinful, overtly sinful notions, and this should be of tremendous concern to us as followers of Christ. But far too often, we neglect the truth that inaction is just as sinful and just as much an affront to a holy and righteous God as sinful action is. That's why we pray every Sunday as part of our confession. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. Living faith that bears godly fruit is not passive. And there are many excuses people make for inaction, for passivity, and we even may fall into these traps at times. But there are three of those that I want to focus on specifically this morning. The first one is this. We are saved by grace and not by good works. And hear me, this is absolutely true. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 tell us, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. But too often we stop with verse 9 of Ephesians chapter 2. But if we're being formed in Christ's image, we will also be engaging in good and godly works because verse 10, the very next verse continues, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. In James chapter two, we read, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. 
In Luke chapter 6, Jesus said, For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Something which I say often, I know, but I'm going to repeat again today, is that the righteousness that we receive in Christ when we come to faith in Christ is not simply a declaration or an imputed righteousness. That righteousness is a lived, real, and actual righteousness which God gives us, which will result in righteous, godly living, righteous, and godly actions. Being set apart to God being set apart for God means then going forth and engaging the world through righteous, good, and godly acts that reflect whose we are. Righteous acts like we see here in the sheep in Matthew 25. The second excuse people would sometimes give is this. It's not my spiritual gift. And this, brothers and sisters, does not hold water scripturally and it certainly will not cut it in the eyes of God. Yes, there are those who are especially gifted in these areas. Those who have gifts such as serving and generosity and mercy. But, that does not, that does, but does that mean that those with prophetic gifts or gifts of evangelism or healing or teaching, and I could go on and on, somehow are not called or obligated to engage in these righteous actions? In Matthew, Jesus doesn't say, for I was hungry, and you had the gift of serving. Or I was a stranger and alien in your land, and you had the gift of hospitality. God calls every single one of us, regardless of our giftedness, to engage in these godly, righteous ways of being and doing. These are simply things that God's people do as the people of God. It's about living out the life of his kingdom here and now, where Jesus has placed us right here, right now, as faithful disciples of Jesus. The issue here is not spiritual giftedness as much as it is godly, spirit-filled obedience. Living out the transformation of God in our lives, living out the righteousness which he has imparted into us, if that transformation is indeed a reality. And the third excuse we hear sometimes, the need is too great. Well, yes, in a sense it is. And it can seem genuinely overwhelming. But hear me, God is not calling you and me to do everything, but he is indeed calling us to do something. He's calling us to start right where he has placed us. When we think of Mother Teresa, St. Teresa of Calcutta, when she went to live among the poor in Calcutta, do you, do you think the situation wasn't overwhelming? And that it didn't remain overwhelming all the days of his life in one of the most populous and poorest, populous and poorest cities in the world? And yet she started right where she was with the people God brought to her and ministered to them in Jesus' name. Or another missionary that may not be quite as familiar to some of you by the name of Lillian Trasher, who went to Egypt as a young woman in the early 1900s and 
was there as a missionary and didn't go to start an orphanage, but a dying woman handed her her malnourished baby, which the grandmother wanted to throw into the River Nile because she couldn't care for that child. And Lillian Thrasher took in that infant and it developed into an orphanage, which goes and has continued growing to this day and since the early 1900s has raised over 20,000 children. But it's not just what can we do or what can I do. It is what you and I are called and empowered by God to do. Did you hear that? Not in our strength, but what God is empowering us and calling us to do. And this church is filled with people, blessings on you, who step out and do what God has called you to do. Here in this community, through Kairos Prison Ministries, through our food giveaways, through Untrimetry, through missions partnerships, and all kinds of other things, even that go unspoken and known only to the Lord. And we also partner with missionaries and ministries, not only here in this community, but all around the world. Things like Shade, working with children with albinism in Tanzania, and Asher and Hannah in Central Europe, and Dana Craft in Guatemala, and our missionaries that we support in Uganda. As you remember last Sunday, well, you don't remember because I didn't preach my sermon second service last Sunday. In my sermon first service last Sunday, I talked about the idea, which is totally counterintuitive, that God fills those who are already full or being filled, not those who want to remain empty. So as we serve the Lord out of all the abundance that he has poured into our lives, he will pour in more and more and more, equipping and calling us. And that need, yes, it may seem too great, but God calls us and he will equip us to do far beyond our own abilities. In the midst of the injustices and disorder of this world, we are, by God's power, called to demonstrate the justice and order and righteousness of another world. The kingdom of the one who is our king, who we recognize and honor and exalt this day. And it doesn't begin by doing something spectacular. It begins and continues indeed by simple, righteous, godly actions, wherever the Lord has placed us which bring the reality of Christ's eternal kingdom and the values of that kingdom to bear in this lost, dying, and desperate world. And it all boils down to the words of Jesus, the King himself, to each of us. Either you did it, or you and I did it to one of the least of these, and to our King, or we did not. May God give us the grace to step out right where he's placed us, despite seemingly overwhelming needs at times to be his outpost of the kingdom of light in a lost and dying world, instruments in the hands of Jesus so that he can do his good and gracious work through us, touching the lives of others, bringing people to know Christ, meeting people's physical needs, seeing people delivered, seeing people set free. But he's the one that will equip and empower us as we yield to him as King of kings and Lord of lords to accomplish these things for his glory. Let us pray. So, Father, we give you great thanks that Jesus Christ is indeed the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Not just for a moment, but for all time and eternity.
Father, we ask that you would bring us fully into submission to him as our king. That we would not be overwhelmed by the needs around us or the lost spiritual state of so many around us and the darkness in the world around us. But that we would be that salt and light he calls us to be. To be where he has placed us right here, right now, making a difference in his name through righteous, godly acts that he empowers us to do. Lord, forgive us for those times when we've engaged in passivity or indifference or step back because of fear or feeling overwhelmed. We repent of that. Renew us and refresh us and use us to touch this community and our world, those in need in every way, by your mighty hand. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.